You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Gospel of Luke chapter 16. For those of you who like to read the Bible on your phone, we encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app. If you go into the menu and the live notes section, you can follow along with what's here on the screen and even some more stuff as well. So there's a way to interact for those of you who read the Bible on your phone. We are currently in a series in which we are studying the parables of Jesus. And so one-third of all the teaching that Jesus did that's recorded for us in the Bible is in the form of parables, which are short stories and illustrations which Jesus used to teach important spiritual principles. And so each week in the series, we're going through one or two of these parables at a time, and we're considering what they mean, what they meant back then in that, in that context, and what they mean for us today in our context now. So today we're looking at what is actually one of my favorite of the parables. It's in Luke chapter 16. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. And one of the reasons why it's my favorite is because I remember being a young Christian, being a teenager, and I started reading through the Bible on my own. And I remember reading this parable for the first time and being like, what? That's a super weird story. Like, I don't get it. And because I didn't get it, I remember one of the first books I bought as a young Christian. I went to a Christian bookstore and I bought a book on understanding the parables, and the reason I bought it was because it had an explanation of this parable, and I wanted to understand this parable. So I hope that you're excited about this. I sure am. It's the parable of a dishonest manager. We're going to begin by reading it together, and then we're going to talk about what it means for us, okay? So Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this manager was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what I will do, so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who loves us and a God who speaks to us. And we think about these words written so long ago, but so incredibly relevant to our lives today. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see that, to understand what this parable is about and how it applies to our lives and help us to put these things into practice. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the hope and the message of the gospel. And we pray that as we read these words, as we study your word, Lord, the truth and the message of the gospel will become so clear and so alive in our hearts that it would motivate us and change the way we live. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a question. If you were offered 
the opportunity to go back in time and do one do-over, right? Like one thing that you could change in your life and do it again, what would it be? If you could have one do-over, what would you do over? Maybe it's something you said, maybe it's something that you did, maybe it's something that you didn't do but you wish you had done it and you think you would say this phrase, if I only knew then what I know now, then I would have acted differently. How many of you have ever said something like that? If I only knew then what I know now, I would have acted differently. You know, when it comes to money and investments, there are a ton of stories like this of people who would say today, it's very easy, right, to say today, if I knew then what I know now, then I would have acted differently. Uh, For example, if you graduated high school 20 years ago and you went out like many people do and did and you paid for college, right? Maybe you got a school loan, student loan, you paid for college. Let's say, just round number, you paid $20,000 to go to college. That seems like a a good forward-thinking thing to do, right? To make sure that you have a career and a job and all that. Okay, now think about it though. If you knew then what you know now, if you would have taken that $20,000, instead of paying it to your college and, and doing all that, if you would have taken that $20,000 and put it in Apple stock, you would have $5.2 million in the bank right now. Okay, here's another one. If you would have only known then what you know now, you would have acted differently. There are a couple other examples of this, of missed opportunities, which ultimately led to demise. So for example, when I was a kid, I had this Velcro wallet that had a Dick Tracy on it. Anybody, I'm kind of dating myself there. Some of you guys are like, I don't know what Dick Tracy is. But okay, so I had a Velcro wallet. It was yellow and it had a Dick Tracy emblem on there because that's when that movie came out. And uh, so when I was a kid, I didn't have any other cards in my wallet. I didn't have any money in my wallet. But what I did have was a Blockbuster video card with my name on it. And I thought that was super cool. I was super proud of it. And I carried around this Velcro wallet with a chain on it because... Well, I didn't really have anything to carry in it except for my Blockbuster video card, but I was very proud of it, and it had my name on it, right? And uh, Blockbuster was the coolest place in the world. I loved going to Blockbuster. And at its peak, Blockbuster Video reached the height of its peak in 2004. Okay, Blockbuster Video was a, you know, home entertainment industry giant. They were indestructible. 9,000 stores, and they had 60,000 employees, and at its height, the company was worth $1.5 billion dollars. In the year 2000, so a couple of years before they reached their peak, they're still on the way up. In the year 2000, there was another video rental company that was kind of an upstart company, but it was struggling to stay afloat. Their business was that they would rent out DVDs to people through the mail, and uh, they only had a few thousand subscribers at the time. Things weren't going great for them. They weren't sure if this business model was actually sustainable in the long run, so they had this idea. Well, we've got to change our business model and make sure that we say uh, relevant. So what if subscribers could stream their movies over the internet on their computers. This was their big idea. The problem was, in order to develop this idea, they needed money, right? Because you've got to hire people to build that website, and you've got to get licensing from all the companies that make the movies. And so they, they couldn't afford to do that. They were barely staying afloat as is. They didn't have any capital. So they thought, well, maybe we can get bought out, and, and we can sell this idea. So this company approached Blockbuster video, and they offered to sell their company and this idea to Blockbuster for $50 million. The name of this company was Netflix. The CEO of Blockbuster welcomed the CEO of Netflix into his office in, uh, in Texas, and Netflix presented their proposal, and they got laughed out of the room. They laughed them out of the room, and uh, they told them, this is ludicrous, it's preposterous that you would even ask us for that much money. And here's what the CEO of Blockbuster said, it'll never catch on, this will never work. 
because nobody wants to watch movies on their computer, and, and who uses the internet anyway, right? This is the year 2000, right? So no way would we throw away $50 million on a dumb idea like that. Well, fast forward a few years later, 2010, Blockbuster had gone from, at its height, $1.5 billion. They were now worth $24 million. Netflix was now worth $13 billion. And in 2013, Blockbuster closed all its stores. And today, Netflix is worth $61 billion. If only Blockbuster would have known then what we know now, they would have acted differently, wouldn't they? I'll give you one last example. Anybody remember MySpace? MySpace was the place to be, right? Starting in 2003, MySpace ruled the internet. They were a social media giant. They made a lot of money off of advertising, and they had millions of people using their site, including me. And in 2004, there was a college student uh, named Mark Zuckerberg. He started a site called The Facebook, thefacebook.com. Originally, The Facebook was only open to Harvard students, then it opened up to a few other universities, and at most, it had a few thousand users. In 2005, MySpace offered to buy the Facebook from Mark Zuckerberg, and Mark Zuckerberg said, yes, I will sell the Facebook to MySpace. He said, but here's the deal, I will only accept a price of $75 million. MySpace was worth a couple hundred million dollars at that point, and they could have afforded it, but they said, no way, you've got a few thousand users, $75 million, that's way too much for your dinky little website with a couple thousand users. Of course, Facebook then changed its name and they went public. MySpace uh, became a ghost town. Sold after that a few years later. MySpace was sold for $35 million. Today it's worth less than that. Whereas Facebook is now valued at $350 billion and it's projected to be one of the first companies to ever reach a value of $1 trillion. And you know these guys are kicking themselves, right? Like MySpace is like, man, if we would have only known then what we know now, we would have acted differently. And I think that for all of us, there, there in a way are times and places in our lives that we look back and we say, if I would have only known then what I know now, I would have acted differently. In our text today, we have a very interesting parable in which Jesus is essentially giving us a heads up. He's giving us a wake-up call. He's giving us a warning. He's saying, hey, here's what's going to happen, okay? This is what's going to happen. I don't want you to end up being the guy who says, if I would have known then what I know now, then I would have acted differently. In this parable, Jesus tells us a story. And here's the point of the story. I'll give it to you right off the bat. The point of the story is that you and me, what we need to do is reverse engineer our lives. In other words, we need to start with the end and we need to work our way backwards and we need to plan accordingly because here's the deal. We do know what the future holds. And because of that, we should let it affect the way that we live today in every area of our lives. The title of today's message is A Forward-Thinking Investment Strategy. There were three important things that Jesus was communicating in this parable to the people who were listening to him in that day, as well as to us today. And here's what they are, and we're going to go through these, each of these. Number one, you are a steward. Number two, think about your next station. And number three, invest accordingly. So you are a steward. Think about your next station and invest accordingly. This is one of most, Jesus' this is considered one of Jesus' most difficult parables. A lot of people I've talked to have told me, I don't get it. It's uh, confusing me. Because as you read this parable, here's what you think. He's like, wait a second. Did I just see a crooked guy do some crooked business and then get patted on the back for it by Jesus? Right? Like, what is this? So this parable is known as the parable of the dishonest steward. But here's a really important. This is the, kind of the base thing that you need to know. It wasn't this man's dishonesty that was being commended in this parable. It was this man's shrewdness. It was the fact that this man 
is an example of somebody who knew what the future held and acted accordingly. He's a man who, you could say, reverse engineered his life. He looked to the future, and in light of the future, he changed the way that he lived today. So let's look at this. What were some of the things that this man understood, which if you and me, if we understood them, it would change the way that we live? Number one, you are a steward. So this story is about a manager. It's called a manager in the translation I'm reading from. Um, But in some translations, they use an older English word, which is the word steward. So this man was a manager for a very wealthy man. What that means is that he he was kind of like this man's personal banker. He was this man's financial manager, the CFO of this man's uh, trust or, or all his property. He would have been in charge of overseeing this man's property and the money and the businesses that this man owed or owned. And he would have had the power to make investments on behalf of this man and those would have been legally binding. So in some translations, this again, they use an older English word for this, which is steward. Steward's actually, I think, a better word for this than manager because it really gets to the heart of what's being talked about here. Steward is somebody who's put in trust of somebody else's possessions or property and is in charge of managing them, investing them, using them according to that person's will and desires. Okay, so this steward wasn't doing a good job. And word got back to his boss that he wasn't doing a good job. And the rich man called the steward into his office and he asked him, I think this is an interesting phrase, he said he called him to give an account of his stewardship. This is how one translation puts it. Give an account of your stewardship. So when you're managing someone else's money, you can't just do with it whatever you want because it's not your money. If you're a steward, what that means is that certain things have been entrusted to you and your job is to use those things in accordance with the will and the desires of the one to whom those things belong and you're to use them for the owner's property or I'm sorry, for the owner's profit. And there will come a day and it could be any day really when the owner will come and ask the steward to give an account of what they did with what was entrusted to them. And Jesus is saying, that is a picture of your life. That is a picture of your life. You are a steward. Everything you have has been given to you by God. And one day, you are going to have to give an account of what you did with what was given to you. See, God has given all of us, including you, he's given you certain things. He's given you time talents and abilities he's given you money and material possessions he's given you a mind he's given you a body he's given you some degree of influence and the question that all of us need to ask ourselves is what am i doing with the things that he has given me because one day just like this man in this story we will all stand before god and we will be asked to give an account of our stewardship what did you do with what he gave you did you use it According to his will and his desires, did you use it for his profit? What did you do with it? This theme of stewardship comes up a lot, actually, in Jesus' teaching. This isn't even the only parable about the topic of stewardship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we read an interesting phrase. It says this, This is what is required of a steward, that they be found faithful. This is what's required of a steward. You be found faithful. Now, in this story, this manager the steward was not faithful he wasn't doing a good job and the reason he wasn't doing a good job we're told is that he was quote wasting his master's possessions now think about that in regard to our lives and what it means that we are stewards that's a picture of our lives and may it never be true of us that we have wasted our master's possessions now in as americans i think we tend to push back against this idea that everything we have is ultimately god's and that we have to give account to him for it I think in our culture, there tends to be more of a thought of, well, hey, whatever I have is mine, 
I've worked for it, and I don't have to answer to anyone for what I do with what I have. It's mine. I worked for it. I earned it, and so no one can tell me what to do with it, right? Like, my money is my money. What I do with it is my business, and nobody else's. My life is my life. No one can tell me how to live my life. My body is my body. You can't tell me what I can do with my body and what I can't do with my body. And what Jesus is saying, and what the whole Bible is saying is, no, actually, that's not true. Those things belong to God. And you are accountable to him for what you do with them. Now, again, you might push back against that and say, hey, wait a second. I went to school. I worked hard. I'm the one who's done all these things. I've gotten all these things for myself. Now, you very well may have worked hard for what you have, but with what? You, won't, you can only work with what you're given, right? And so what did you work with? Well, first of all, you're alive. That helps a lot when it comes to making money or, or accomplishing anything. But you, you have a mind, you have a body. You, where did you get those from? You didn't, you didn't create those yourself. Let's go beyond that. You have breath in your lungs. You have a heart that keeps on beating. Those are things that you have no control over. So who, who actually gave you your life? Every one of those things that you have is a gift from God. We can go beyond that. The mind that you have, the health that you have, those things too are gifts from God that give you the ability to do anything that you do. Even beyond that, where you were born, when you were born. Also, things which you have no control over. They're in the realm of what we call providence, which is the invisible hand of God, meaning God's sovereign decision in your life. Things that you have absolutely no control over, but he does. Okay, and think about this. If you had been born at a different time or even just a different place, your life would be very different. You would not necessarily be able to accomplish the things that you accomplish. If you were born on uh, the top of a mountain in Tibet, 500 years ago, your life would be very different, wouldn't it, right? So you've got to think. You can't, it, to say that I've gotten where I am today just by my own hard work without any help from God or anybody else is, is totally not true at, at all. It, it's ignoring all the factors which you have no control over, which are in the realm of providence, which is God's sovereign decision about your life. So the life that you have is from God, and you only work with what you're given, the life that you've been given is from God and it's sustained every single moment by God. And so at the end of the day, it's not yours, it's his. And your life and everything that you have, ultimately, you're a steward of those things. But God is the master and he's the one to whom you must give an account of what you do with what he's given you. So King David, right, one of the richest men in history, but he was also a rags to riches kind of story. When we first meet David, he's the youngest son of a, a shepherd family, which is kind of the lowest rung on the ladder of society at that time. And, and he really is a rags to riches story. He goes from being the youngest son, tending sheep, and he goes and becomes this king, and he becomes incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful. And yet, at the end of his life, what does he say? In First Chronicles chapter 29, David says this phrase, all that is in the heavens and all that is on the earth belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. And so no matter how much you have, it's an important perspective to keep on it is that you are only a steward of it. God has entrusted it to you for a time and for a purpose and you are accountable to him for how you use those things and you're accountable to him to use those things according to his will and his desires and for his profit. Okay, so in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, we read about a time when the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus with one of these 
unanswerable questions, right? Like loaded questions, like one of these questions like, hey, do you still beat your wife, right? Like there's no good way to answer that question. You can't say yes and you can't say no, right? So they ask him a loaded question. And in uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 16, here's what we read. They, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They're kind of trying to butter him up here, right? They say, you aren't swayed by others. You pay no attention to, to who they are. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, this is a totally loaded question. There's no good way to answer this. Because if he says yes, he alienates himself from most of the Jewish population who are opposed to the occupation of their country by Rome. But if he says no, then they're going to have him arrested as an insurrectionist, a teaching pe telling people not to pay their taxes and to break the law. So there's no way that he can win. So it says this, Jesus, though, knowing their evil intent, said to them, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? He says, show me a coin that is used to pay the taxes. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And they said, it's Caesar's. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and they went away. Now, a lot of times this verse is referenced in regard to saying that people should pay their taxes. Okay, but actually what Jesus is saying here is much bigger than that and much more important than that. What Jesus is saying is this. Look, this coin bears the image of Caesar. So give it to Caesar. But guess whose image you bear? You bear the image of God. So give your coins to Caesar, but you make sure that you give your life, give yourself to God. You bear his image, you belong to him. It's a very interesting parallel, actually, talking about money. I brought some money with me today. It's just $1, but I want to show you this. This is the, the reason why it says at the end, the Pharisees were so amazed by what Jesus said. So I have a dollar bill here, right? Now, who does this dollar bill belong to? Does it belong to me? Well, it's, I have possession of this dollar right now, but really... It's not actual, this dollar bill does not actually belong to me. You know that, right? You know that the, this dollar bill is actually the property of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. And they let me use it, but at the end of the day, this belongs to them. That's why it's actually against the law to deface currency. So if you draw a mustache on George Washington, if you draw some glasses or some horns on George Washington, you're actually breaking the law because this doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the Department of the Treasury, and they're just letting us use it. At the end of the day, that dollar bill doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the U.S. government. And so what Jesus is saying is, same with you, right? That's kind of how your life works as well. You're kind of like that dollar bill. You bear God's image, and you actually, at the end of the day, you belong to him. So make sure that you are giving yourself to him and you should view yourself as a steward of everything you have. Your time, your talents, your abilities, your body, your mind, your money, your possessions, all of those things have been given to you by God and one day you're gonna have to give an answer to him for what you did with what he gave you and whether you used it according to his will and desires and for his profit. Now I pray that none of us would be guilty of what this man was accused of and found guilty of of wasting our master's possessions, of wasting what was entrusted to us and not using it according to our master's will and desires. So how can we make sure that we're not wasting what God has entrusted us? Well, let's follow the story and see what it shows us. This guy just got fired. The boss came in and told him, look, you've got till five o'clock to wrap things up, pack up your desk, and you've got to get out of here. And this guy's like, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble because nobody's going to hire me. 
I don't have any friends. And at 5 p.m. today, I'm going to be unemployed. And I have no job prospects and nobody to turn to. What am I going to do? And so he comes up with an idea. Quickly, he calls in some of the people who owe his master money. He says, Bob, thanks for coming in today. I know it was short, short notice. Please sit down. We don't got a lot of time. How much do you owe? Oh, I owe 1000 And he says, can you make it 500 could, could we make a deal today? You pay today, but you only pay 500 And he says, well, yeah, I could do that. Thanks, man. That, that's huge. And he says, no problem. Just make sure you get it in today. And he says, well, hey, this is so nice of you. I really owe you one. And he says, yeah, yeah, you really do owe me one. And uh, I'm probably going to be knocking on your door next week. So just keep an eye out for me. Next guy, Larry. Larry, thanks for coming in. You owe my master, you know, 600 bushels of wheat. Hey, I'm sorry. I can't pay up. I'm running a little short this week. How how much can you do? Can you do 600? He says, yeah, I I can do 600. All right, let's get it done. 600 it is. Uh, We can do that. Um, Okay. Hey, Larry, let's hang out sometime. I think that's going to happen very soon, so just keep an eye out for me, right? Next guy comes in, and he's just knocking off huge amounts off of these people's debts. And you can imagine, these people love this guy. He's giving them 50% off, right, on what they owe. And, and even, and finally, the master comes in, and he hears about this, and he sees this, and he says, he says, well, look, I mean, I don't really like it that I'm losing money on this, and you're kind of taking away my money and using your last day at work to take away all my money, but... But look, I see what you did here, and I got to hand it to you. I mean, you're smart, right? He gives him that kind of slow golf clap, like. This dishonest steward, see, what he did wasn't right, but it was smart. He, he thought ahead, and he thought about the future. And he used what he had now to make friendships that would last even after his current situation ended, after he moved on to his next station. And that's the second important thing that this, this uh, parable teaches us. Think about your next station. Make sure you're thinking about your next station and use your present position to prepare for the future certainty. Now, this man's future certainty was this. He's, he's gonna be unemployed in just a couple hours from now. And he's using what he has now to prepare for that certainty, for that which is coming. Jesus adds a very provocative thought here in verse eight. He says this, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Here's what Jesus is saying. All of us could afford to learn a few things from the business world when it comes to how we live our lives. Because when it comes to money and business, people pay, put a lot of time and attention into it, right? They put a lot of care into it. They're, they're going to be savvy. They're going to be bold. They're going to be forward thinking. And they're going to make sure that they plan ahead. They're going to make sure that they draw things out. And he says, but the thing is, there are a lot of people who don't do that with their life. There are a lot of people who don't plan ahead with their life. They're not forward thinking. They're not willing to take bold steps with their lives, with their souls, which are ultimately more important. You know, if you have a business, you draw up plans, you plan ahead, you set goals, you prepare for the future, you manage those things so that you can make the most out of what's been given to you, what you have to work with. Because you've got a lot invested in that business, right? And, and you want to make sure that it succeeds. And what Jesus is saying is you should treat your life in that way, if not more. Because your life, your soul, is infinitely more important than any business or money. It, Jesus, one of the most poignant statements he ever made was this. He said, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? Or what would you give in exchange for your soul? But yet there are so few people who give the same attention and care to their soul as they do to their business or even their own personal finances. 
you know, nowadays there's a trend, and I think it's a good trend, it's a trend towards life planning. So there's a lot of books on the market about this subject of life planning. In fact, I even read a book on this subject earlier this year. There are a couple of them out there, but the whole concept is basically the same, no matter which book you read. The concept is this. They say, imagine your funeral. Start with this. Imagine your funeral. Think about the day of your death and your funeral. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? What kind of characteristics would you like to be remembered for? What kind of things would you like to have accomplished by the end of your life? What kind of qualities do you want to be thought of having after you're gone? And so they say, think about those things and then work backwards and, and start making plans, starting, with, starting today with how you're going to get there to make sure that by the time you die, you're there. How long is it going to take? What are the steps you need to take? What's the thing you need to start doing today to get to that place? Now, here's the only thing about these life planning things. I think this is really smart, and I think it's really wise. Again, though, it's nothing new. Jesus is essentially saying the same thing here 2,000 years ago. But here's one major difference. Whereas all the life planning books out there say, Think ahead and think about your funeral. Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. You've got to think way beyond your funeral, right? You've you got to think ahead of your funeral. You've got to think beyond your funeral to what comes after that. I mean, that, that, essentially, here's what I want to say. The end of your life is a myth, okay? The end of your life is a myth. You need to plan for beyond death, right? If you were raising a, a kid, right? and you, you raised them to only think about preparing until they're 15 years old, right? All right, we're getting closer. You're going to be 15 years old. You've got to prepare for being 15 years old. Then the kid hits 15 years old, and they're totally unprepared for what comes after that. That's not very nice. And so here's what Jesus is telling us. He said, don't plan for your funeral. Plan for beyond that, because the end of your life is a myth. You need to plan for beyond death. What we see over and over here in the pages of the Bible is that God wants us to understand the end of your life here on earth, that is not the end of you. You're going to live beyond that. Every person in the world is going to spend eternity somewhere. The question is where? And Jesus continually taught, the Bible teaches, heaven and hell are real places and not everybody's going to heaven. And so, yes, you'll get rid of this earthly body. You'll eventually finish this earthly portion of life, this body you have now is going, the Bible compares it to a tent. It's temporary. It gets holes in it. You got to patch it up. But eventually, you set it aside. And one day, you fold it up and you put it aside. But even after that, your soul will continue living. Here in this parable, Jesus is saying, let me tell you a story about a guy who understood that principle. He understood that his current position was so temporary and, and how that understanding changed the way that he lived and acted in the short time that he had left. This guy was on the clock, and so are you. That's the message. This guy was on the clock, and so are you. He was about to get fired, but you and me, we're about to die. And you say, wow, I was really hoping for something uplifting. Well, I hope this will be uplifting because you have to know this in order to plan ahead. See, none of us knows exactly when, and I don't know if you've seen the statistics on death, but they're pretty serious. I mean, 10 out of 10 people die. That's like 100%, right? None of us knows exactly when. All of us, all we know is that we're on the clock. It's not a question of if we're going to die. It's a question of when. And so Jesus said, don't wait. Don't put it off. You never know. It could, like happens all the time. It could happen at a time when you don't expect it. So don't put it off. Start planning for the future today. Think about your next station. Think about eternity. Make sure that you're ready to meet your maker. Make sure that you have gotten right with God, that you've received his grace and salvation through Jesus by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross to save you. 
this guy in this story, Jesus is saying, he is a picture of you. He's a picture of you. He's a steward, and he's on the clock. He doesn't have much time left. But look at what he did with the little time that he had left. You should do the same. He used the short time that he had left to prepare for his next station and for his future reality. You know, one of the best things you can do now is use your present resources for eternal good. Use your present resources for eternal good. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Consider the future. This life is temporary. Eternity lasts forever. And therefore, use what you have today for eternal purposes and eternal good, things that will last. And that brings us to the final thing that we see in this parable that this parable teaches us. And that's this, that after understanding that you are a steward and thinking about your next station, the next thing to do is invest accordingly. Invest accordingly. Remember those stories I told you at the beginning about those people who had those opportunities and they're kicking themselves now because they missed the opportunities and they're saying, if I would have only known then what I know now, I would have acted differently. Well, when it comes to your life, it doesn't have to end that way. You don't have to end at the end of your life saying what, what those people are saying, if I only knew then what I know now. If you listen to what Jesus is saying here, things can be different. He's telling you what is coming. He's giving you a heads up so that you can act accordingly now. So if all of us are on the clock, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it reminds us, you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out of it. Right? Some of us act like, Life is a game in which the one who dies with the most stuff wins. But that's, you can't take any of it with you. What should you do because of that? How can you take the things that you have now, time, talents, money, influence, health, how can you take the things that you have now and invest them in ways that will really last? Even if you take your money and you put it in a vault underneath a mountain, eventually that mountain will crumble and, and erode and you'll die anyway before that ever happens. And so what, what does it matter? How can you invest the things that you have now in a way that will really matter, in a way that will really last, so that all of your hard work and everything that you did in this life doesn't just die with you? Well, here's one option. You could make a donation to some organization, maybe to your university, right? And you could exchange a large amount of money for them to name something after you. They could name a library after you. They could name a gym after you. And that way, when you're gone, you, your name would live on and you wouldn't die. Well, yeah, until 30 years later, they're going to tear down that gym or they're going to rename it to somebody who gives more money. Anyway, it's not going to last. So how can you invest your money in something that will outlive you and will really make a difference and really matter? Well, here's what Jesus had to say about that. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, since there's nothing on earth that will really last, what we need to do is send those things forward. We need to send it forward and invest our time, talents, money, influence in something that will literally last forever and which will reap eternal dividends. Invest in building up the kingdom of God. Spend your money in such a way that there is glory in heaven Bring people to Christ. Build the kingdom of God. Do something that will last forever, which will never be lost. In verse 9, Jesus says an interesting phrase. He says this, I tell you, make friends. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Some translations use the original word, the Aramaic word, mammon. So use unrighteous mammon so that when it fails, they may receive you 
into eternal dwellings. Now, the reason why some translations don't translate that word mammon into wealth or money is because the word mammon actually has a little bit different and deeper meaning than just wealth or money. So some translations said, you know, this word is not really translatable, so we're just going to leave it as it is and we'll let pastors explain it and stuff like that, right? Mammon means, what mammon means is not just wealth or money. What it means is that in which you trust, that in which you trust. And that's really interesting because Jesus says, you know, rather than trusting in these things which will fail, and he says they are going to fail. It's not a question of of if, it's a question of when. He said, since those things are going to fail, you have the opportunity right now to use those things in such a way that when they fail, you will have done something which will last forever. So if you die and go to heaven, I want there to be people who will say, you know that mission trip you went on? You know that mission trip you supported? You helped some people go on that trip? I'm here because of that. I want you to be able to hear from people. You know that radio ministry that you donated to, that you helped support, that you helped you know, uh, edit maybe? I'm here in part because of that ministry. Remember that time that you led that Bible study at your work and I was there and you thought that I, I was just totally blowing you off? Well, I wasn't just totally blowing you off and, and that played a big part in why I'm here today. Remember that conversation that we had and you thought that nothing you said was getting through to me? Well, more got through to me than you ever realized and God used that and it's part of the reason I'm here today. Remember that children's ministry class you taught when I was just little? You probably don't even recognize me. You told me about God's love for me. You told me about what Jesus did for me so that I could be saved. That's part of the reason I'm here today. I want to encourage you, use the things that you have today so that when you get to heaven, there will be people waiting for you, welcoming you in and saying, I'm here because of what you did with what you had. For many people, money can be something that drags them down and keeps them from God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, who was kind of his protege. He was a young pastor, and Paul is an older pastor. He's kind of mentoring him, and he writes him this letter. He's giving him some encouragement, some tips about how to be a good pastor. And one of the things he addresses in the sixth chapter of his first letter to Timothy is about people who have money. And he says, hey, encourage those people not to trust in their money, but to trust in God. And here's what he says. It is through the craving for wealth. Now, I want to just stop right there. It's a misnomer to think that just because you don't have money that you're not craving for wealth. I I worked with a lot of poor people when I lived in uh, Europe, and I'll tell you what, a lot of poor people, uh, I would say, worship money just as much as people who have money, maybe even more, because they don't know what it's like to have it. So all that to say, you don't have to have money to crave money. He says it's through the craving for wealth that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Okay, so here's what Jesus is saying, though. He's saying, But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Money doesn't have to be something that gets in between you and God. Instead, actually, you could, could, instead of allowing money to control you or get in between you and God, you can actually take control of it and you can use it strategically and proactively and invest in things that really matter. And if you do that, then it transforms that unrighteous mammon into something that is glorious and pays dividends both now and forever. The only things that last forever, according to the Bible, there are three things that last forever. God, of course, but the word of God lasts forever. And the other thing that lasts forever are people. So God, the word of God, and people. These are the only things that last forever. So invest accordingly. And what that means practically, just a couple things real quick. Number one, never make money at the expense of people. Never never take advantage of people to make money. Secondly, Use your money to help people. Use it to mend broken lives and meet needs. But thirdly, 
Bring the word of God into people's lives. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says that the word of God lasts forever. When you bring the eternal word of God into someone's life so that they hear the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, that is what has the power to change their life and change their destiny eternally because they hear the gospel and they can embrace Jesus and what he did for them and then they can receive the gift of life everlasting and they can become friends forever. I think this is really interesting when Jesus talks about heaven. He doesn't talk about mansions. He doesn't talk about streets paved with gold. He doesn't talk about crowns. He talks about us. He talks about friends. He says that's, you know, really that's what all of us long for deep down is love. Love without ending, relationships that aren't hindered by the kinds of things that hinder relationships here and now. Loving and being loved by God and by others, that's what awaits us. You know, what good is a street made of gold if you don't have love? And so use the time that you have now to prepare for what is to come. Embrace the gospel. Embrace what Jesus has done for you. And use the things that God has given you in such a way that when you get to heaven, you'll be welcomed in by a whole bunch of people who are there, at least in part, because of what you did with what God gave you while you were here on earth. You are a steward, so be a faithful steward who thinks about the next station and invests accordingly. And again, all this is possible because of Jesus. Here's what the Bible tells us about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was the true friend. He was the true steward. He was the, he was the one who emptied himself of all that he had in order to turn his enemies into friends forever. And we get to be the recipients of that ultimate friendship, and we get to spread it to others because I tell you, this is something that's too good for us to keep it to ourselves. Amen? Would you please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the ultimate act of friendship, Lord, that you emptied yourself and you gave your life in order to bring us to you. And so, Lord, we pray that, first of all, we'd receive that. As all of us think about this life and the big picture of things and that, like this man in the story, we're all stewards and we're all on the clock um, and time's running out. Lord, may we use the things that we have today for eternal purposes. And Lord, we do pray that you would take those things that we give, the things that we invest the actions that we do and the money that we give and on all the things that we do in your name and for your purposes and your mission and your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that you would use them greatly for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.